0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast from HorrorGeekLife.com. I'm your host, Melissa, and with me today is one of our super talented writers from Horror Geek Life, Steven Rosenberg. Hi, Steven, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Melissa, thank you for inviting me. I can speak as well as write, which is something that people don't know too much about me, so I'm glad to be here today talking about horror.
0: So we're actually going to talk about horror TV series and right now um, you actually came up with the theme and it's a great time to do so for a few reasons. So Chucky just premiered and I will have to say I haven't seen the Chucky series because I am one of those losers who lives off of streaming only. So I think you've seen it though, right?
1: Yeah, I did watch it last night, and uh for you losers out there, I believe USA allowed the first episode to be streamed for free on YouTube right now. You can double-check me on that, but I believe that's going on. But uh yeah, I watched it, and uh, it was pretty good. It was high-quality, kind of fun. It seems like it's going to be kind of a buddy slasher, kind of a, a buddy cop, but, you know, slashers. So, really interesting.
0: I've seen really good things about it all day and I had no idea about YouTube. So that is going to be what I do after this episode's recorded. I have got to see it. I've been so excited. You know, I've mentioned on previous episodes that the trailers just look way better than I expected. So I will definitely be checking that out. And then another reason we're covering this is you've been covering the Creepshow series for us and you also covered Midnight Mass. It's just right now we have all of these really awesome horror TV shows. And so, we thought, why not kind of geek out a little bit and talk about some of our favorites? And I have not been keeping up with Creep Show season three yet. I've finished the first two seasons, but I still need to dive into Creep Show season three. But it sounds like it's a little uneven for you uh, this season.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but the first two seasons had a little more magic when it came to talent you know you had some episodes with you know horror icons like keith david and barbara crampton you know and really there hasn't been that in this season you know we're only three episodes in but still when it's anthology it's probably going to be about six episodes you know and the biggest name that they've uh, dropped so far has been james ramar that's kind of been lackluster in comparison to some of the other you know really great episodes of the past two seasons
0: we just published your recap and review of the episode three. And it sounds like there was one segment which kind of was elevated for you for this season. And then the other segment wasn't <laughs> on that same level.
1: Yeah. The first segment was really good. You know, it was kind of this uh, Japanese artwork storyline with a kind of demon backstory. It was really neat. It was, uh, I don't want, I won't go too much into it. You know, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it was one of the better segments of the season for sure.
0: And then Midnight Mass, which you are a big fan of.
1: Yes. Midnight Mass is probably one of my favorite horror shows of all time. Like, it's just so well constructed. I'm a big fan of Flanagan anyway. A lot lot of horror fans are right now. I've liked his stuff for a while. I really enjoyed Doctor Sleep. But something, you know, we'll talk about, I think, Haunting of Hill House here in a little bit. But something I really loved about Midnight Mass was kind of one of the things I loved about the Walking Dead comic and that was the fact that like most of the horror comes from the human interaction rather than like the supernatural piece behind it. You know, like in the Walking Dead comics, like zombies are kind of the afterthought. It's more or less like it's the humans that are the scary part about it, you know. So it's kind of a similar theme in Midnight Mass, which is, you know, something I really like about it.
0: You know, and I just realized with you mentioning that that we both put together our list of TV shows we wanted to talk about today. Neither one of us added The Walking Dead. I haven't watched in so long.
1: I gave up probably around season six or, or so, you know, my biggest issue with the walking dead and, and, you know, you've got loyalists to the show and loyalists to the comic, but it was never really about like one against the other. There were some really great uh, adaptation moments from the show to the comic, but like my biggest issues were like some of the characters that they spent so long developing through this decade long comic, they killed them off in early seasons. And you're like, where do you go from here? You know?
0: Yeah. As a huge fan of the comics, I have to agree. And I mean, the comics and their heyday were just the best of the best. And I was really excited to see the show. I dropped off. I, I can't remember. I, I think I made it to Negan. And then I've dropped off since then. They are coming out with another spinoff show.
1: No, I think this is a third one.
0: Yeah. The third. So, okay. So before we jump into news that we covered recently on Horror Geek Live, Stephen, have you read, watched, listened to anything that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I'm always doing all of those things. Um, So currently... Uh, well, I'm doing my 31 Days of Horror, of course, which is, you know, I think everybody's doing that at this point, but uh, new things I'm working on, uh, Squid Game. I started that. Everybody's been really into that. Um, I'm about two episodes in and it's caught me. It's It's got a lot of the typical South Korean melodrama that you find in a lot of their horror movies and stuff where it's like the bad stuff's got to be happen, happening to people, but also even worse stuff has to be happening to people. So it's like they just pile on the melodrama. So that's been good. Of course, Midnight Mass was great going to see Halloween kills this week so I'm excited about that
0: yes yes I'm watching on Peacock I love that I have that option so and then actually next episode another one of our writers John uh, he will be joining me and we're gonna talk about Halloween kills
1: I mean John lives like just a few minutes from me so we might even see it at the same theater So crazy. I had no clue. But um, yeah, reading, uh, I just finished Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar, and I really enjoyed that. And I did a quick read through of Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf, which is, you know, it's a great novella. Currently, I'm reading Stir of Echoes by Richard Matheson, which is just fantastic.
0: I love that book. I love Richard Matheson. Um, I think I have pretty much his whole collection, and that one is a favorite. For me, I just picked up a huge stack of comics at a local comic store, and I've been reading The Black Monday Murders by Jonathan Hickman with art by Tom Coker, and the artwork is just unbelievable. The faces uh, done by by Tom are just so realistic, I I just cannot get over it. But uh, as I said, I'm on volume one, but I did just pick up volume two as well, and that is where they leave off for now. But I believe that they are coming back. But it's like a crypto noir series that follows banking cartels that rule society. And it actually does really well at combining all of these different elements like the occult and supernatural things, uh, conspiracies, there are murders, and it just hooked me immediately. So I've been binging that and I'll be on volume two. I also read The Silver Coin issue one, and I really enjoyed that. That's an anthology series of horror comic anthology series. And I just picked up volume one of that. So I'm going to finish the uh, next four issues here soon. So yeah, I've been trying to get back into comics and I have a lot of catching up to do. So (laughs) that's where I'm starting.
1: That's awesome. There's a recent horror comic that I've been wanting to pick up called Something's Killing the Children. Have you read this?
0: It's actually sitting right behind me right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard great things about it. I really want to check it out.
0: I picked up Volume 1 uh, just this week, actually. I haven't read it yet, though, because I've still been reading you know, Black Monday Murders, but I cannot wait to read it. I've heard really good things. So,
1: Just kind of glancing through the artwork, it reminded me of a game that came out, I think it was, I don't know if it was an Xbox exclusive, but years ago, Limbo. Do you remember Limbo?
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Yeah. So the uh, the artwork sort of reminded me of that when I was just kind of glancing through, so I'm really excited to check that one out.
0: Yeah, and I'll definitely let you know what I think, too, once I finally get to it. Okay, so let's go into some news that we covered this week. And we have to start with the Scream trailer. We finally got the first trailer for Scream, and it brings back some of our favorites, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, neve Campbell. And it takes place 25 years after the first Scream. So I think we can probably expect some fan service there and some throwbacks to the first one, which we already saw in the trailer, you know, the house shot and things like that but that comes out January 14th. And Steven, what did you think about the trailer?
1: I think it looks really cool. It looks like it's gonna be a kind of a darker take on the series after, you know, three Craven kind of sillier sequels. Uh, This seems like it's going to kind of go the David Gordon Green way with Halloween 2018 and be a little more brutal, be a little more dark. I don't want to say feel more like an actual sequel to Scream. I feel like that this is going to be one of those films where like you could watch Scream and then go straight into this and you don't really have to watch the other three films. I just recently saw the 25th anniversary uh, of the original in the theater just last weekend. And like, you know, and I, and I do like the sequels, they're they're fun and everything. But like, even 25 years later, like watching the reveal, because these movies are all about the reveal, even seeing it so many times, you know, I watch it at least once a year for hol- around Halloween. And, and even though, you know, the reveal, you're still wondering who's doing the killing at what point, you know, you're kind of like, is it Stu? Is this one Stu? Is this one Billy? You know, which one is which? What was Billy doing? when Tatum was murdered what was what was he doing at this time and and i think that's really valuable as far as rewatchability even this long past when it came out
0: you're right it does look darker and it does look like they took that halloween 2018 approach to it i'm really excited to see what they do with it Another trailer that came out that we covered is The Black Phone. Man, I covered this trailer news and watched the trailer and it just looks super solid. It's directed by Scott Derrickson who did Doctor Strange Sinister and it's based on a short story by Joe Hill from 20th Century Ghosts and it stars Ethan Hawke as a serial killer who abducts children. Ethan Hawke in this trailer is absolutely terrifying. Like I just was clenching while I was watching him and that comes out from universal and blumhouse and it comes out february 4th 2022 did you check this trailer out
1: so i haven't watched the trailer i did read the short story from joe hill in 20th century ghosts it was good it's been a while since i've read it i'm more drawn to ethan Hawke as a villain you know you normally see him as kind of a more in the hero role but recently you know he accepted that villain role in marvel's moon knight And then he's doing this, you know, I've always kind of felt like he had sort of a villain face anyway. I think he's going to be good for it. You know, I'm always down with bigger stars coming in and doing horror. And he has that chemistry with Scott Derrickson already from Sinister is, you know, that's great.
0: So the last bit of news is that, and this actually made me excited because I'm a big fan of this. Turbo Kid is getting a sequel, but it's going to be through a video game. And the Kickstarter for that video game is now live. It is an official sequel, and it's going to continue right after the events of the film following the kid through the wasteland. When that comes out, it'll be released on PC and Nintendo Switch. There are lots of cool perks. Um, I plan on backing the project later on tonight, So if you're a fan and you want to see how it plays out, then you can go back this game and plan to pick that up when it finally comes out.
1: Yeah, you know the soundtrack's gonna rock. Limantos is fantastic, anyway. Like I'm, I'm assuming they're gonna do the soundtrack for the game too, right? Yes. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Uh, It's interesting to me that they're taking the uh, the NES Goonies two route for a sequel to the movie. You know, I was always hoping that they do an actual uh, sequel.
0: I know, same. I really loved Turbo Kid. I like the team. They also did Summer of '84. They just seem really passionate about everything that they do and you can see that come through. So, at least we're getting something and I would also like to check out this comic book.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, so let's dive into our main topic, which again, our horror TV series. And, you know, you and I we just picked a few each that we really love and wanted to talk about. Let's start off with the Twilight Zone. The first series ran from 1959 to 1964 and you know this has got to be probably one of the biggest inspirations on horror, sci-fi, and even pop culture today. Why do you think that this has remained so significant?
1: You know, I think it was just because in the 1950s, like, there was nothing else that was like this. You know, this was kind of absolutely a groundbreaker. You had stories in science fiction. You know, you had uh, Ray Bradbury stories, and I think this was a little early for Philip K. Dick. You had this stuff on paper, but you never really had it on film except for, you know, some of the 30s and 40s alien invasion movies and things like that. But so once it was put on film, it was really just a, a way for people to see, like this wild concept finally in front of their eyes rather than like having to read about it.
0: Pulled together just some of the best writers, you know, still, we just talked about Richard Matheson. He was a big writer in the series and you know, it had so many of these names behind it that really elevated the stories and of course they all had that moral. And if you rewatch the series today, there are so many that still apply, they understood humanity they understood you know how you were talking about midnight mass and the walking dead that the people are the biggest threat that is a very common theme that you know people are the biggest threat out of this series i mean there's so many good ones to pick but if you had to say you know a couple of episodes that really stand out for you what would they be
1: i'm going to stick to the 50s series and the 80s series i never really saw the third one the 2002 to three series and I saw a few episodes of the new one and and it was okay it wasn't it didn't bring the same charm that the old ones did so one of my favorite ones and it's actually from one of the, I believe the first season it's called One for the Angels uh, it's got Murray Hamilton from Jaws, who plays plays the mayor in Jaws, of course. It's directed by Robert Parrish, who directed uh, the original Casino Royale movie, uh, written by Rod Serling himself. This guy is like this salesman, and uh, he meets Murray Hamilton, who plays Mr. Death. And he's basically trying to swindle his way out of being taken by death. And of course, as we all know, that is not a thing one of the things you had mentioned earlier about you know why was this so big at the time is i i don't think up to this point you had a lot of really bleak endings in media you know a lot of people don't like bleak endings a lot of people were they want happy endings but kind of they want the bleak endings too they it's almost like a this itch that needs to be scratched of well what would happen if things didn't work out this time and, and that's something that i think twilight zone did really well especially through the first couple of seasons in the original series was they didn't really have that many happy endings did they <laughs>
0: it really didn't one of the episodes that comes to mind right now with ending that just doesn't sit well with me and it's actually haunted me i have literally had nightmares about this and it is the episode i don't know the title so i apologize but it is the episode where everyone is dying because they are getting way too close to the sun and so the heat is taking over and the earth is going to die And, of course, at the end, a woman wakes up and you think, oh, good, it's just a dream. Society and the world is not ending because it's too close to the sun. But instead, the reality is that they're too far from the sun and the whole world is freezing to death. And for whatever reason, out of all the episodes of The Twilight Zone, that one has just stuck with me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a straight up message of death being inevitable. Like I said, super bleak, but you know, it's like, wow, I don't think people around that time really had anything like that given to them. So I think that's why it stuck around as much as it did.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point. As I said, in that previous episode, my dad, you know, this is something that we just bonded over this and mad magazine (laughs) were the things that we bonded over when I was a kid, you know, and he always said, Oh, you know, he was just so ahead of his time. Rod Serling was just so ahead of his time. And I get that. I get that now as an adult, why he would say that because it was and there were so many messages that hit harder today than probably even back then because we've seen how the world has played out since then
1: were you a big fan of the 80s series
0: i was Um, so i have not seen the revival series after the 80s including the jordan peele one
1: yeah a couple episodes i remember loving uh in the 80s series Uh, really i think it may have even been the first episode was the one wes craven had directed he did a double episode Uh, with bruce willis where he has a full head of hair which is really weird uh, if you guys want to check that out one that i also that used to scare me a lot when i was a kid was called the shadow man that was directed by joe dante who of course did films like gremlins and piranha uh, and the burbs and it was written by john Milius, who was involved with the conan movies and he has a dark you know streak to him too so it was like this kind of shadowy figure that hid i think it was either under the bed or in the closet so you know of course as a really young kid is when I saw this stuff, when it would come on TV, that scared the absolute crap out of me.
0: Did you enjoy the movie?
1: I love the movie. Me too. Now I really hate all the stuff that comes along with the John Landis part of that movie, the stuff involving Spielberg and, and Landis and whatnot, but I really love that movie. And I love Joe Dante's segment out of that movie with the little kid who can change things with his mind and change reality basically. But I'm a big fan of really all four segments actually own the soundtrack on vinyl. I found it at like a thrift store for a couple bucks. And I was like, well, I got to get this.
0: I love it. I own it on VHS. So yay for, <laughs> for old media here. Yeah. So for me, the first one I'm going to mention is Living Doll. And this is an episode that really just brought, you know, horror to the show. And there was Talkie Tina, who is still absolutely terrifying and was a Chucky before Chucky existed. And I love this one because I love a really good comeuppance. And there is a um, stepdad who isn't very nice. And, you know, he gets his in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, even that story kind of sounds like something that would happen in a Chucky movie.
0: Yes. Another one that really stands out for me and one that I love to revisit is The After Hours. I love mannequins. I love, you know, creepy mannequins. And this one, I just loved the twist that this woman is actually a mannequin and she doesn't remember that she belongs to this store that she is shopping in. That's another one that really stands out for me. Let's move on to our next show, which is another anthology series, and that is Tells from the Crypt, an absolute classic and a highlight from my childhood.
1: Same, same.
0: That intro.
1: It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. The thing I loved about Tales from the Crypt is that it brought this plethora of big directors. It wasn't just horror directors. You know, you had a lot of horror directors like um, uh, William Friedkin and and Tom Holland and Toby Hooper. You know, but you also had like Robert Zemeckis came in and did an episode. You had Richard Donner. You had actors come in and do it. Arnold Schwarzenegger directed an episode. Tom Hanks, Michael J. Fox, Kyle MacLachlan. Like it was a team effort of almost all of the different minds of Hollywood. So it was really great seeing these directors and writers that you never got to see do horror stuff, like step in and try their hand at horror. I love that, especially as an adult looking back and seeing these different stylistic moments in these episodes where you're like, wow, that actually really looks like a Joe Dante shooting.
0: Not only did they direct, but I mean the guest stars, you cannot throw a pebble within the series and not hit an A-lister from Hollywood. You know, some of the people that you had already mentioned, but you know, Demi Moore and Michael J. Fox and Tom Hanks, I mean, they were all actually on the show as well. It was a lot of fun, and one of my favorite episodes actually has a double hitter of Bill Paxton and Brad Dourif, and they play brothers, and I just love that. I mean, to be able to go back and see all of these actors.
1: And I recently just got the series on, on DVD, maybe last year. First of all, it's not streaming anywhere. And second, I don't think you can buy Blu-rays of this yet. It's an HBO show that Warner Brothers worked with HBO on, but it's not on the HBO apps. So really the only place you can get it is the DVD collection that's released.
0: There are licensing issues with this IP. There was going to be a reboot from M. Night, and it never happened because of licensing issues that was going to come out on TNT. But I do have to say, though, that Tells from the Crypt Keeper, the animated series from 1993, which I love, that is on Tubi for free. So definitely go and revisit that. Bless Tubi. Tubi has the best horror.
1: They do. They're great.
0: So do you think that this is one that should be rebooted now that everything is getting rebooted?
1: I don't think it should because you have to be able to bring all these great Hollywood minds together to make a show like this. I mean, you're going to have to get people like Jordan Peele or, or Mike Flanagan or, you know, Creepshow is kind of doing it with some of the lower tier horror directors like Nick and Rusty Cundiff and, and whatnot. But you're going to have to get like Robert Zemeckis was big time. This guy directed Forrest Gump, like he's... He's big time. Richard Donner directed the Goonies and Superman. Like you're going to have to get a list directors to come and do a show and not saying that M night Shyamalan couldn't do that because, you know, he's, he's pretty popular, but I just can't see it happening uh, in this day and age. You know, people just want too much money. They want more creative power than I think modern times are going to be willing to give them uh, in comparison to the late eighties and not saying that it would be like inappropriate or anything. I just think that, you know, studios want things to be a certain way and and aren't going to give directors the freedom that they want. One of my favorites is season one, episode two. It's called And All Through the House. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, It's written by Fred Decker, who directed Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad. And this was brought from the 1972 film, and it's about the killer Santa uh, that you know that's stalking the the family outside the house. So that's a great episode. There's one in season three called Dead Weight, and that's a Toby Hooper directed episode. It's got James Ramar in it. It's got John Rice Davis. Whoopi Goldberg plays this like creepy priestess who like double crosses this pearl heist. Uh, and then another one from season five. That's one of my favorites. Is uh, it's called Death of Some Salesman. It's got Ed Begley Jr. in it, and he's like this kind of. Swindler car salesman type guy who tries to uh, swindle not one, not two, but three Tim Currys. So anytime you have an episode with three Tim Currys in it, got to be the top of your list.
0: How can you not love that, right?
1: Well, and the other great thing about that show before we move on is like the host, delightfully creepy, terrifying, hilarious... Host that intro every episode and outro every episode with a joke. So even as a kid, I was like, oh, that's scary. But also, you know, I'd stand around and like make the Crypt Keeper laugh. You know, my parents are like, please shut up. So...
0: And, you know, he has been so great over the years with fans. I've seen him at so many events where he will, um, you know, get over the intercom and, and make announcements in the voice or he will actually do voicemail recordings for fans in the voice to say, you know, to leave a message. But he's been so great. Bless him. Moving on is yet another anthology. And this is one that kind of, I think, helped also shape our love of horror for, you know, 80s and 90s kids. But that is, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And this was my favorite thing to do on Friday night. I remember just being so excited for Friday so that I can watch.
1: Yeah, I got yelled at once for throwing sugar into my parents' stove. I thought that the if I threw it into the burner, then that would do anything. And it just melted sugar to the burner.
0: definitely don't do that (laughs) (laughs) you know and we talked about the twilight zone influencing so many things uh over the years you know the submitted for the approval of is of course a nod to twilight zone submitted for your approval
1: i mean even the the name of their club the midnight society was such a just an awesome iconic name for like a group of friends hanging out after they should have been in bed But yeah, you know, even as a kid, I was, uh, I was scared by some of the episodes. I was only like between six and 10 when I started watching this on SNCC. I was never the guy, the kid who was afraid of clowns. You know, I watched it basically when it came out, you know, that never bothered me. But there was one called The Tale of the Crimson Clown, and that scared the shit out of me.
0: I remember that one very well. That was probably one of the, the classics. You know, I was like you. I mean, I would already seen Pet Cemetery. I'd already seen Monster Squad. You know, um, of course, Ghostbusters. I mean, there's a lot of movies I I think child's play. And yet there are still episodes that scared me. Absolutely. The one that I can think of that, that got to me was The Tell of the Frozen Ghost. And still to this day, all these years later, I can hear that I'm cold. <laughs> you know and and it was such a sad ending this show was made for kids it's about kids it's tell, told by kids and there are kids that die and, <laughs> yeah in and, and so many episodes and
1: at the end of each episode it was like a maybe you could be next type of type of moral at the end of the story so as a kid i was just like okay so i guess the crimson clown is just gonna haunt me so that's fine <laughs>
0: I think that haunted most of us. There was another one that came to mind and it was uh, the tale of the shiny red bicycle. And again, this is a kid who died in an accident and his ghost is, is haunting a boy. But it is just crazy to me looking back that the show just wasn't scared to, to go there and, you know, and be that dark.
1: Uh, One that came to mind for me was um, The Tale of the Night Shift. And it was like a creepy abandoned hospital. And there was this like really creepy looking vampire that was walking around stalking these kids. And so uh, that one really stuck with me. It was sort of like a Nosferatu style vampire, but he had long hair and like old raggedy clothes and whatnot. So that sticks out in my mind as one that I very much hated (laughs) growing
0: up. There was a girl that was a candy striper, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That one is coming to mind. Yeah. So the next show on our list is, you know, I'm not trying to amp this one up or anything. It's just the best show that's ever aired in the history <laughs> of TV, but that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it aired from 1997 to 2003. And this one, you know, being a a girl and <laughs> being a teenager back when it was airing, it was a huge influence on me. I know that there's a lot of really gross things that have come out about Joss Whedon, and I hate that. I hate that for the show. I hate that for the legacy, for the actors involved, because yeah. it was just such a brilliant show from so many angles. There's word that there's another spinoff in the works. Yeah, I haven't really looked into it that hard because everything seems to go and develop in development hell if I look forward to it. So I would rather just wait. Surprisingly, the show. It had really good reviews back in the day, but it actually had lower ratings than what you would expect, which is a shame.
1: Unfortunately, I think that the lower ratings have more to do with sexism than it has to do with anything else. But this was surprisingly, this was one I never finished it's always been a, a show I've wanted to go back and, and finish. Of course, I, I saw the movie and I watched the first few seasons. I never latched onto it as a kid the way that a lot of other people did. And it's one of those shows where I want to revisit it as an adult just so I can like kind of absorb that. Uh, I love the concept of it. I love the merchandise that comes out for it. I have a Buffy expansion of, um, there's, a, there's a Mondo game called Unmatched which is fantastic. And there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer where you can choose from four of the characters from, from the show. I've always been more familiar with the film than I was the show. uh, Even though, you know, the lead in the show, of course is much better. You know, talking about Joss Whedon real quick. I think it's, yes, that is gross. I, I think that's one thing everybody should remember though, is that like when you have a movie and a show and stuff like that, when something like that happens, it's always great to just focus on the fact that like that show wasn't Joss Whedon. Like that show was some of its parts all the actors all the writers all the directors there's a whole team of people that were involved in that show so you know the, joss whedon doesn't get to ruin that for the amazing experience that all those people had and put on film for us to watch
0: very very well said and that is how i have been looking at it one thing i really really love about this series is the progression and the growth of the characters from season one to the last season because There's not one single character that doesn't just have this huge growth over the course of the series. And, you know, whether it was a good character or a villain, they just all get that. And I love it. You know, in the beginning, it's kind of this very elementary type, you know, we're going to fight vampires kind of show. And then over the course of it, it gets so much more sophisticated in ways that you would not expect. And the story just gets so complex, but in a really great way, the later episodes still hold up today. The first half of the series probably does not hold up as well for those of us who didn't grow up watching it, Um, but I still think that it's a really important and fantastic series to sit down and watch. Okay, so this next show... You know, I've mentioned on a previous episode that I am so bummed this one got canceled. And the last time I checked, it is on Hulu, but that is The Exorcist TV show from 2016-2017. It only ran for two seasons. Um, Steven, did you ever check this one
1: out? I never saw it. I I don't think I was afraid to watch it. It may have came out around the same time uh, Bates Motel did and maybe a couple other uh, series series of things where I was just kind of like, man, I just don't know if I can do it. And I had heard decent things about it, but um, it was just one that I never checked out and which is pretty unfortunate considering I believe it was canceled because of viewership. So I'm kind of like, nope, I did this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all on you. You yeah. would have tuned in. Exactly. Yeah. It had really great reviews, but it had a really low viewership. And that is such a shame because it is one of the best horror TV shows I've seen. Steven, knowing, you know, kind of the things that you review for us, I kind of get to know your taste a little bit. And I think that this is one that you would really enjoy. But this is a direct sequel to the original 1973 film. So Gina Davis is actually Reagan all of these years later, and she is in season one. And by the end of season one, it actually wraps up her story. So you feel like there is a conclusion for Reagan. And Gina Davis was brilliant in it. Season two actually picks up from the priest who help in season one, because in season one, Reagan's daughter gets possessed and priests come and help with that. But in season two, it actually takes those priests and it moves on with their story as they move on to yet another exorcism that actually stars John Cho. So I think that the series, you know, while it started out as Reagan's story, the series was actually going to evolve as following these priests. Based on these first two seasons and how freaking scary they were, I think it could have worked. And it's a shame that it's in it didn't.
1: So you're saying it throws out everything about the exorcist to the heretic? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, it does ignore the two sequels, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of Exorcist 3, but it does throw out, or it does ignore those two sequels. You know, that's not all bad, obviously, (laughs) because we have the Exorcist 2. But yeah, so that show is fantastic. Go watch it, people, even if you only get two seasons of it. It's just great and you get a resolution for Reagan. Up next is probably one of the scariest series I've ever seen that will make me cry one second and then you know pee my pants the next second that is Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House that was a 10 episode series on Netflix in 2018 and of course based on the Shirley Jackson 1959 book The Haunting of Hill House there are so many terrifying moments what stands out for you?
1: The tall man in the bowler hat when the little boy's underneath the bed is like terrifying. This is a series I watched three times, by the way, and I don't rewatch limited series very often. Really, really enjoyed this one. In the car when they're driving, I can't remember the younger sister's name, but her ghost basically is angry that the two sisters are fighting. That one got me, I will say.
0: (laughs) Nell is such a wonderful character, too.
1: And such a tragic character. The the whole story is just so tragic.
0: watching this the family dynamic and the family drama that came along with it was such a gut punch just so many times it was just so well written i couldn't believe how well written the characters were one of the scariest moments for me now this is like a small moment but for some reason it just haunted me after but that is the clocksmith one of the brothers and the dad are in the car and you know and the dad is explaining like yes like this This house was haunted and the brothers recounting one of his experiences and mentions seeing a clocksmith in the hallway fixing a very old grandfather's clock. And the dad says, well, you know, no one ever touched that clock. And then you realize looking back on it, that that was a ghost that was just hanging out fixing his clock. But many scenes had ghosts hidden in the background of the house that you could search for and find just a ghost standing behind a door or looking in a window. And it was just so well done with the scare. Yeah
1: the one moment that really, really messed me up for that show was in the funeral home when the older sister was by herself and she's standing there and it's pouring rain outside. And all of a sudden all the doors start banging, like somebody's banging on the sides of the funeral home. And I had just gotten a surround sound system for my house. And I remember I was very late at night, stayed up watching this. It was probably one or two in the morning and and that scene came on and I was like, okay, I got to go to bed now. Like I can't, I can't do this right now. <laughs> and I, I have a pretty high tolerance for spooky stuff. So that's saying something, for me, who's very desensitized when it comes to horror films, this show legitimately was creepy for me at, at certain moments.
0: There were so many moments, you know, like I said, that some were just so subtle and super effective. And I think the one that you mentioned with Nell in the car when she comes between the sisters, oh my God. I mean, I probably jumped like off my couch. It just scared me so bad. But, you know, along with that, along with it just being total freaking horror. Again, you get this family, the characters you just start caring so much about. And um, it's really rare that you find something that that combines such horror with, you know, such drama and it just really works. For sure. Now, I have not seen Fly Manor. I haven't either. We're slacking on that, Stephen. We need to get on that.
1: For sure. I do think I enjoyed Midnight Mass more than *Haunting Hill House, so Really? Yeah, I think so. They're they're real neck and neck. I love the setting of Midnight Mass more. It's just more up my alley. You know, it's this quiet seaside town. The isolation is there. You know, with the house, it's like town's just a drive away. But when you're on an island and in this tiny little like kind of bigoted town where there's no real escape, you know, when you when you start thinking you know differently than other people, and you know, I'm I'm from a small town, so it's like I'm (laughs) I know this very well. This uh feelings that you get kind of being an outsider in in a small town. So I really love the isolation feeling of of midnight mass just a little more than haunting of hill house i think but i love them both totally recommend them both
0: Well, I'm diving into Midnight Mass finally this week. So I'm really excited and I'll definitely let you know uh, what I think about that. And I have to watch Bly Manor over the next, it probably has to be November because October is so crazy and I want to fit in Midnight Mass, but I have to catch up and see what he did with Bly Manor because Mike Flanagan is just, I mean, so far, knock on wood, he hasn't done any wrong by me. I just adore him.
1: And I just love seeing Henry Thomas and everything, too, and just being like, that's just the little boy from (laughs) E.T.
0: Yes so the next show is one that i actually haven't seen well i take that back i've seen the first few episodes of season one and it is an anthology but it's anthology kind of like a american horror story where it's by season not by episode but that is channel zero from 2016 to 2018 is when this aired and it was canceled due to of course viewership and people kind of put that on sci-fi a little bit that sci-fi didn't promote this well enough when it was airing steven do you want to talk about
1: the show yeah so you know sci-fi they're kind of getting their their stuff together now it seems like with the chucky series and the day of the dead series that's coming out they're kind of getting more gritty they're allowing just more special effects and gore and cussing and stuff like that and not saying that that stuff was needed before but just more focus is going into that side of of their releases so but in my opinion, that started with Channel Zero. So a lot of people haven't seen this. I'm always hyping it up to people. I always feel like maybe they're going to come back and be like, that yeah, wasn't as good as you said it was. But you brought up American Horror Story, and I've, I've never made it through the first season of American Horror Story. I've always felt like it was throwing a bunch of cliches in, in one episode and just trying for shock value. And I felt it was like very weird. I always ask people to sell me on American Horror Story, and like they get like halfway through it and they're like, you know, it's sometimes it's good. And I'm like, well, how do I want to watch 10 seasons of this, you know? But Channel Zero, you know, in my opinion, it's a better American horror story. It's each season is a different story. You have some amazing creature effects in it. I'm sure, Melissa, you've probably seen the still shots of the tooth creature.
0: Yes, I saw an episode with it. The stories are based off of creepypasta stories, right? Right.
1: I'm hoping now that it's ported over to Shudder, I'm hoping that Shudder will eventually continue the series. After the first season, the second season was my favorite. It was a uh, it was sort of like a haunted house story. These friends go to a haunted house and the woman walks through a door and leaves and she ends up in like a mirror neighborhood. There's like an imposter version of her father and like imposter versions of her friends and it's very creepy. It's unsettling. That's that's the thing I like about it the most. They brought in um, John Carroll Lynch from, you know, he was in Zodiac. He's a very recognizable character actor. And then in season three, they bring in Rector Hauer as one of the main characters. So they started picking up with some great character actor talent, and then they canceled it due to viewership. I never actually got through the fourth season time reasons. I'm really hoping that Shudder decides to continue this. I'd love for it to get the kind of steam that it deserves.
0: So the last show on our list is one that is still airing today and it is absolutely fantastic and just so funny that you will have tears in your eyes every single episode. That is What We Do in the Shadows. It is based on the 2014 film of the same name. There's three seasons and it was already renewed for season four. This is the second TV show in the What We Do in the Shadows franchise. The first is Wellington Paranormal, which I still need to see. Mm -hmm. Why did you add this one to your list, which rightfully (laughs) belongs, by the way?
1: Okay, well, first of all, it's one of my favorite shows of all time, like ever. The amount of enjoyment that I get out of the show is barely rivaled by other shows, just from the humor aspect, the comedy, the production. like It has everything I love about horror comedy. It is written perfectly. With a lot of shows based on movies uh, of the same name, sometimes you get the director come in and do like, an episode and then, you know, it's carried on through other people, but the team of people, you know, Taika, uh, Jermaine Clement, Kyle Newacek, Paul Sims, the woman behind Wellington Paranormal. Jackie Van Beek. They all work together to continue the show. So like Taika will come in and direct three episodes here and Jemaine will come in and direct some episodes here. They have cameos in the episodes. It's very much just a continuation of the movie because you actually have characters from the movie pop up in several of the episodes and it's just so well entwined. And And if you haven't watched Wellington Paranormal, I've seen probably like four episodes of it and it's, it's pretty good. It's hard to find over here. It's mostly in New Zealand right now. They haven't really tested it on American audiences yet, but it's it's really funny as well.
0: I would love to see it. I was actually at the world premiere of the first episode in South by Southwest. And the entire cast was there and the creators and, you know, pretty much everyone you just mentioned. And it was such a fantastic night. That was, I think, my first night um, of South By that year in 2019.
1: Yeah, that makes me really jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Super jealous.
0: (laughs) It was just amazing. And I remember being in this big theater in Austin and, oh my God, I was just tearing up with laughter because that first episode was just so funny. And I didn't know what to expect as a huge fan of the film I was like please don't mess this up with the tv show I mean I have to say that it is as funny if not funnier sometimes than even the movie and that's really hard to say because the movie is just so top-notch
1: I absolutely love the movie and I think the show is better in many ways just because it's just such an extension of the film the characters you know you've got Kevin Novak and Matt Berry Natasha Dimitriou Harvey Guillen plays Guillermo and then Mark Proch plays Colin Their chemistry is just so absolutely amazing and the thing that the directors and the writers do with the show specifically in the recent seasons is that they're able to pair any character up with another person in this group and still have the same comedic like genius kind of it so in the first couple of seasons you've got Laszlo and Nadja you know they're a married couple there's so much great chemistry between them and then kind of in this newer season they sort of put a halt to that and have Laszlo and Colin take a few episodes on their own and have Nandor and Nadja do some episodes with those two, or have Laszlo and Guillermo, you know, they can switch it up. It's almost like having a a whole team of great players on a a sports team, just being able to sub in whoever you want at any time to make genius comedy. And I really love that about the show.
0: The chemistry and the combinations, it just works so well. And I didn't know how Colin, who is an energy vampire, I didn't know how he was going to work at first, but he's so funny. Just on every level, you know, he will bore you until, and that's how he drains your energy and he gains it is he bores you. And he's every guy I've ever met in corporate America.
1: Yeah. And I think the reason why his character is so intriguing is because we've all worked with this person everyone has had that experience, so they throw him in there in a very dry Norm MacDonald comedy type of way where he's like simply there to just get on your nerves and drive the other characters up the wall and he does it perfectly. He really
0: does. You know, there are people that I've thought about in my past where I thought, man, I wonder if they were an energy vampire.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: And when he goes into his trance when he's draining and it shows him, oh my God, his eyes when they change, Okay. It actually freaks me out. I can't lie. Like, it is so freaky. It's
1: like he's getting off on it. It's oh like, it's my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about the comedy of the show, but there's actually a lot of great horror moments of the show too. And you have a lot of great cameos. You know, you have Mark Hamill does a cameo. Doug Jones is one of the characters in the first few episodes and, you know, makes a return. But like, of course, Doug Jones, when you think about him, you think about, you know, his characters and like hellboy and uh, pan's labyrinth and stuff so he's in a, like a very familiar like uh, no pun intended but a, a very like normal doug jones role of like uh, a nas style vampire where he's like real gross looking and the effects are actually really great in the show and there's a lot of killing and a lot of uh, stuff that you wouldn't expect in a comedy so it really does check all the boxes for both horror and comedy
0: Absolutely agree. And I think that it was very wise to move the setting from the film. And, you know, the new setting is Staten Island. Yeah,
1: I think, uh, I think they were tasked with taking over Staten Island. And I think they got one street, right? That yeah. of fame. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they don't do a very good job of it. No. <laughs> so the vampiric leadership isn't always happy with them for that. Yeah. But yes, it's just brilliant comedy.
1: I think my favorite character is Laszlo. I love how like so uninvolved he is with vampire business. They want him to do all these vampiric council stuff and they want him to follow the rules. And he's like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't care about any of that. I just want to just bone and and drink blood.
0: Laszlo and Nadja as a couple are just so funny. Their chemistry together is just perfect. And they are definitely, if I had to pick favorite characters, which is really hard to do, it would have to be them. But you just cannot name a bad character in this entire series. So that is it for this episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And Stephen, thank you again for joining for this awesome conversation. Please be sure to follow, subscribe if you enjoyed the show and connect with us on social media at Horror Geek Life. And I'm at Horror Geek Mel on Instagram. Stephen, where can they connect with you?
1: Okay, you can find me on Twitter at Rosie4B, or you can find me on Instagram at Rosie4Boston. You can go read my articles on Horror Geek Life. I do some podcasts on the side. been doing a movie roasting podcast for about 11 years now, just for fun with just me and some friends called Motion Picture Meltdown. Then another one that's kind of a villain's comparison podcast uh, called The Curly Mustache Podcast. So you can search those anywhere and find them and listen to my content and uh, hit me up and we'll talk about horror and uh, other geek stuff.
0: Perfect. And until next week.